0: Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half-full editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weinchurch.: Fully full as always. <laughs> Today, we have a special guest with us. It's not just the two of us. It's our friend Joe Riggs from Redemption Rye. And uh, you brought us something special to sip on as we chat. What are we drinking today?
1: So this is our uh, first release of our Ancients series. This is uh, an 18-year rye Mm. that was um, filled in cask on March 24th, 1988. And then we emptied it in January of 2017. So it's a cask-strength expression of uh, rye whiskey.
2: When this went into the barrel... I was still an English professor.
1: (laughs) That's how long it was. That's how long ago it was. was. I I was a (laughs) miner. Coal miner or gold Uh, miner? A non-drinking miner.
2: I thought all miners drank, Uh. but anyway. I was in
1: Kentucky, so probably. Okay, probably.
0: Yeah. This must be the oldest rye whiskey that you guys have put out to Uh, date.
1: This is the oldest rye whiskey that we have inventory of and will be releasing. Uh, We do have an older whiskey. It's a bourbon, 36 years old. Um, it's a unicorn and there's about yeah. 12 bottles, but it is, it is certainly older. And that's part of the ancients. It is also part of the ancient series. Yes. Yeah. So they have their own bottling and, uh, really,
2: I mean, you almost need an ancients, ancient series for that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that
0: is for rye and bourbon and American whiskey, yeah, are... 18 and, and 36 years old
1: is, I mean, I don't know if we can get much older than no. than that really. Yeah, I don't know that the barrels would have stayed together much longer on the 36 year. Um, <laughs> one of them actually did fall apart. We we had four casks and one wow, one did not deliver. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it must have been just a little puddle in the bottom of each cask.
1: Five proof gallons between three wow. three barrels. Wow, that's 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 amazing. And that's a 53 gallon yeah. barrel. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. that's I mean, talk yeah. about the angel share after yeah.
0: 36 years. Thirsty Angels and Louisville, and was that one aged in both in, in, in just in Kentucky?
1: Uh, the, the 36 year would have uh, spent a little time in Kentucky, but primarily in in uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, at MGP. Formerly, sure. It would have been distilled by the Seagram's team. Wow, when Seagram's owned it. Um, now at MGP, and then um, all of our barrel proof expressions are bottled in on Kentucky, at Strong Spirits. So liquid history, you know, yeah, the taste of the past. Wow.
2: Uh, <sighs> Well, we'll have to do an episode on Seagrams sometime because that's a hell of a
0: story. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about it before, but I think that this whiskey literally connects two different major whiskey eras, right? I mean, kind of like the end of the Seagrams and Shenley empires, the sun sets on them towards the end of, you know, the 1980s, 90s. Mm -hmm. And then you have this whole new, you know, rebirth of American whiskey. Over the last maybe yeah. 15 years or yeah, so. Yeah,
2: 1998, there was no rebirth. <laughs> Everybody was drinking vodka. Right. And there's,
1: there's so many expressions and finishes and, and age statements and um, blends that are a result of that facility no longer yeah. producing yeah. massive plants. Yeah. So.
2: And that was a Seven Crown facility, I think, originally right. yeah. in Lawrenceburg. The whole Seagram's cross-border initiative, where where they treated like as if there were no U.S. Canadian border, and they made things right. the same on both sides of the border, and moved brands back and forth, and uh, you know made made this uh, very, very high tech, very high high quality whiskey on both, and then blended it to hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh well, that was the right. market. Um.
1: Yeah. Fortunately, people are getting into more um, true to the nature of the spirit and yeah. authentic flavor profiles. And if people
0: were really into whiskey all these years, we wouldn't have an 18-year-old rye to be sipping That's today. Right. So, That's right. right. They would have
2: I drunk mean, it all.
1: Yeah, so, I mean.
2: Uh, I'm mad at them all of a sudden. <laughs> it's both a blessing and a curse,
1: you know. Yeah. Right? We certainly have beautiful whiskey here today, so. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, uh,
2: let us uh, cheers, toast. Derek, cheers.
1: cheers. Cheers. 18 years.
2: 18 years.
0: Redemption, you know, is a certain perfect fit for today's episode because, you you know, we're going to be talking about prohibition repeal in, in, a, in a minute or two. And obviously you guys, you know, pre-prohibition style and that's. You know. Well, I mean,
1: even the, the concept of the name is to redeem the rye whiskey category. And, you know, when we started, it was not uh, even near where it is today. I think sales are about 900 percent of where they were in 2009. So. Yeah we launched in 2010 with the idea that we wanted to redeem the rye whiskey category and Mm -hmm. start a, a, you know, rye whiskey revival. Um, and that the history was there, you know, George Washington distilled rye, the basis of your main classic cocktails with whiskey were based in rye. uh, before prohibition, rye was, you know, one of the dominant spirits produced in the United States. So we wanted to help bring that reality back back to the United States and American whiskey. When
0: Dave and I started, hanging out and drinking whiskey together i mean you could barely find Yeah, the fry. most of the producers were making it one day a year which really probably outstripped demand by quite a bit I, I
2: used i used to go down to kentucky around like 2000 2001 and i'd go to these distilleries and uh, i'd say very politely at the end of our bourbon pep talk and you know i love bourbon but, I'd, but i but i'd say have you uh, considered doing anything with that rye you have? And they'd, they'd all laugh and say the same line at every place. they go, son, we spill more bourbon in a day than we make rye in a year. <laughs> you know? yeah. and I'd say, well, you could make a little more. Right.
1: Well, and typically on that day, they had to go find the recipe for the okay. you know, yeah, rye whiskey. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't their was, focus. Was, and, yeah.
2: and they had to clean everything out. And you know, it was, it was, a, big, it was a big deal. And they, and they didn't have a, a personal stake in it. Kentucky made a lot of rye before prohibition, yeah. but uh, it wasn't their prime focus. Sure. They were primarily on bourbon, and rye was really you know that was the reputation for Pennsylvania and Maryland, not for yeah. Kentucky and so, New York too. Yeah, New York to some bit, degree, yeah. but it was you know yeah. Pennsylvania yeah, was absolutely. huge and Maryland,
1: uh, the Mid Atlantic states. Yeah just,
2: that that was their that was yeah. their jam. So
1: well, and at the same time, you have this facility in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, that's one of the largest producers of American spirit. On the continent, and they're producing. You know, their focus is rye, right? And but they're not putting it into a product that says rye on the on the package. Right. Yeah, not at the, um, because it was in a blend. It was right. in a blend, you know. Right. And that, but it was the backbone of the blend. It was yeah, the flavor sure. character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought it was too flavorful to use on its own. <laughs> um All fortunately for changed. us and yeah. others they were incorrect <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely um, we but, like
2: it when you take the kobe beef out of the hamburger blend
1: right <laughs> <laughs> when they had this incredible facility you know it's it's geared for making rice, incredible water source and the distilling team is still intact from 30 years mm-hmm. ago so there's incredible history and experience right. and great whiskey and um we're fortunate to to be able to bring it to market so
0: Cool. Well, thank you for coming by and pouring us a uh, taste of the new eighteen-year-old. Uh, appreciate yeah, lovely it. Stuff. It's, uh, easier, to take, easier to talk about prohibition and repeal when we're drinking uh, whiskey than uh, <laughs> <that's> right,
1: <laughs> than,
0: that's than, right. than not. Uh, so, I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, Cheers. my pleasure. Thanks, okay. guys. Today's episode: repeal and prohibition. There's so much there. You know, I mean, a we lot. Could of... go
2: on for sixteen hours, and <laughs> that makes for good podcasting. It was
0: like a like a Ken Burns podcast will be here. That's we'll do right. A that's right. Seven hour, you know, interrupted with Plague drive for PBS,
2: and then we'll we'll be describing a lot of black and white photos There's in like detail in slow motion. In slow motion. So hopefully
0: hopefully it'll be a little bit more lively. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about prohibition and repeal because yeah. uh, it's a hell of a story. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the time in American history closest to what we have now. Where there was a big political divide in the country, yeah. uh, a lot of uh, rural and urban disagreement. Uh, there was a lot of rural suspicion of urban behavior, sure. and a lot of urban resentment of rural control.
0: And you're right. I mean, I think prohibition was definitely the temperance movement. Overall, was this amazing kind of perfect storm, right? You had yeah. all of these, you know, all these disparate groups coming together that normally would never. Have been together, you know, and a
2: lot of them were strong-armed into it, you sure. know, by fear of primaries, for instance, right. like we have now. Right. The prohibition candidates, the party said, we're going to run candidates on a prohibition ticket, right. and if you don't go along, you're out of office.
0: You have both the KKK and suffragettes, both on yeah. the same yeah. side of a single yeah. issue, but yeah. obviously a giant issue, and they were both supporting prohibition for very vastly different reasons very
2: it was a strange coalition
0: but it but it's kind of amazing you know we kind of forget how unifying yeah. the idea of temperance was yeah. and, how many different aspects of society were in support of temperance? And
2: there was a there was a huge amount of uh, hypocrisy involved then. Sure, you know a lot of people were like, "We want prohibition for the working class. Right? It's not going to really affect us in our right. clubs. We can." And there was a lot of self deception. Yeah, sure. we can take the alcohol or leave it alone. Yeah. and if we have to give up drinking champagne in our gentlemen's clubs right. so that the working class behaves sober and, right. and and are able to be let around, that's fine. And then, of course, Prohibition comes and they realize they can't give up the champagne.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have different groups like the KKK supporting it because, especially in America, you know, producing whiskey, there are a lot of Jews who are, you know, running spirits companies. You have, you know, a lot of immigrants working in distilleries. There's a lot of bias. Also
2: saloons give immigrants a place to gather and people Absolutely. are very very leery of that like the urban saloon sure they worry about democratic machine politics and there's, a, of, there's a lot of stuff like of that some of this
0: temperance talk is sort of code you know yeah. it's code oh, yeah. for you know we need to control the immigrants we don't want immigrants here you know we get world war one obviously you know we go to war with germany
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know the the brewers and the distillers certainly didn't play well together so, you no, know, the,
2: uh, the distillers tried to, uh, the brewers tried to throw the distillers off this over the side They <laughs> said, well, get rid of spirits, but right. keep beer. And, right. But the brewers were, were closely associated with Germany and suddenly right. that was, uh, so that didn't help in the end. And they, 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 they were kind of all, all screwed. But, you know, there was also, to be fair, there was some arguments on the side of the of prohibition that were were, were correct. Absolutely. There was a lot of political corruption. Sure. Things were run out of... Uh, machine politics was always run out of
0: saloons. Domestic violence laws, you know, aren't on the books. Alcoholism, you know, was definitely a problem. You know, the saloons... Were a problem
2: and you know others were were perfectly working man's clubs. Absolutely. You know, it was places where where you went when you lived in a small apartment in right. the city sure. and didn't have any public space.
0: Traditionally, you know, the argument for temperance was that you know the competition between brewers and distillers was so high that you know they kept lowering the prices. Mm-hmm. The the saloon owner, the bar owner, would then have to also you know offer things like gambling or prostitution, which was a higher margin, which Look, I'm sure that happened, but, uh, you know, that also makes really good stories. Exactly. That's great headlines. A lot of scare stories there. A lot of scary stories, (laughs) you know, about, you know, the bar owner who's, you know, dealing in vice and alcohol. Oh, we can't have that. You know, know,
2: multiple voting, voter fraud. Voter fraud. Through the saloon. That was uh, was a big buzzword. You know, uh, you really look around and you're like, this is all very familiar. (laughs) Right. I mean,
0: it's kind of funny because it's, you know, it's a lot of the same – it's all the same issues that, you know, obviously we're dealing with today. Mm-hmm. But America's often dealt with a lot of these issues since its founding. The
2: Civil War. That's some of the same issues. Too. Right. And I was
0: going to say it's not that far in the past. No. Right. From prohibition. It's just.
2: It's sort of. These things kind of come around in maybe 80 year cycles. Right. You know, something like and that. And it's not, you 70, know. 70, 80 years.
0: The Civil War ends, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, the temperance movement begins almost. Immediately after, yeah, right? I mean, I some mean, of it, it was
2: even before. There was the Washingtonians sure. who were signed a temperance Absolutely, pledge, right? Uh, but some of that was temperance and not like prohibition. It's like right. temperance for me. You can do what you want, right. and nobody should ever have a problem with sort that. Of true libertarianism, yeah, you know, which is yeah. Uh, the problem comes in when you say I can't drink, and right. nor can you, right? <laughs> you know?
0: And 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 really, I think you know, during the late eighteen hundreds, you see mass. You know migration. You know you you see all of these immigrants come mm. from Europe. And people
2: freaked out. They were like Jews, Italians. Who are these people? They're going to German. be terrible Americans, uh, right?
0: And they, you know we you know we've yeah. talked a lot about this. You know you've written a lot about this for the Daily Beast. You know just how that changed drinking culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately for the better. I mean, yeah. like a lot of what we consider and what the world considers sort of you know so called American drinking really was brought with these immigrants from around the world. Lager who, beer. Right. Who fancy really,
2: cocktails.
0: Really yeah. improved and changed yeah. the way that Americans drank and thought about alcohol. So, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, it's a really interesting time. And, you know, again, it's it's sort of code, you know, temperance or repeal, and, mm-hmm. you know, or not repeal, with temperance and prohibition. It's sort of code, you know, for a lot of different issues that, uh, you know that people were, you know, fighting about. Well, they
2: were afraid of change. Sort of. Uh, they saw all these people who came in and didn't speak English and had foreign ways and ate and drank foreign things, and right. uh, they were they were terrified. And now, you know, these same people are eating pizza and uh, right. you know and uh, right. all these things. All that these we things ate. they they turned out to be really not the end of the world right. at all. I
0: Everybody mean, eats hot dogs now and yep. giant pretzels. Yep. And, yep. We're you know, eating our
2: German food. We're drinking right. our German beer. We're right. eating our Italian pizza. Right. Exactly. You know, Everybody's uh, eating bagels. I bagels, mean, yeah, not, not a not, problem. You could buy really crappy ones in every right. supermarket in the country. Right. It,
0: it's a fascinating period. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, once, you know, you actually get into Prohibition itself, you know, I don't think anybody really totally understood what would happen, yeah. you know, and, or or the ramifications that almost happened immediately? They, they
2: thought because they won an election, they won the hearts and minds of of, of the people, right? And they didn't, right? People <laughs> Sounds in familiar. in those cities Sounds were familiar. like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> guess what? No, right? We're not going to cooperate with this. This is this is a bogus law, and uh, and if
0: anything, you get hundreds, thousands of tiny beakeasies pop yeah. up in cities across the country, you know, even we just ran an excerpt from a fascinating book from uh, the Southern Foodways Alliance, mm-hmm. and an essay about how in the South, you had all of these speakeasies in caves, right? like just outside of town, which was, you know, just a little bit, you know, close enough where you could draw people from cities or, you know, uh, populated areas, but just far enough away where yeah. there was really no police presence. And you have all these entrepreneurs turning caves. Some of them had been used by Native Americans, or mm-hmm. you know, all, mm-hmm. you know, different groups over or the quarries years. Quarries and stuff. quarries, exactly. Yeah. And and you know, they've been turned. You know, they're turned into dance halls and you know, speakeasies, and you know, people are going out there to party.
2: It's crazy. I mean, and you know, the same in the in the cities. You get. Uh, I wrote a column on this recently, also about uh, all these. Uh, for instance, one ethnic group, the Italians, the uh, before. Prohibition, they didn't really run bars. They ran restaurants. The Italians liked restaurants and they drink wine with their food. Suddenly, those restaurants are illegal because they want to serve wine with their food, which, you know, if you're Italian, that's part of your culture and that's really important. And, uh, so suddenly they're in the speakeasy business. And once they're in the speakeasy right. business, then they're going to start serving liquor, too, sure. because you need the margin. And right. uh, you know, wine is hard to get. Liquor is easy to get. You know, yeah. Nobody was really worried about uh, – uh, nobody was going to risk breaking huge amounts of law for wine.
0: And you could make wine at home. You right? could. I mean it was yeah. something that but you they... couldn't sell it. Right. Or transport or it. Or transport it. But you yeah. could definitely – you know, it was one of these things in Daniel Okran's book yeah. um, where he talks about Last Call – he talks about how suddenly Americans got a lot more religious, you yeah. know, a lot more people, you know, becoming rabbis and priests and right. buying and serving, you know, religious wine and, you know. You're, and
2: you could get like bricks of pre-prepared grapes that right. you uh, broke up and added water to and they had the yeast already in a separate packet. And, and
0: I've heard that, you know, part of the reason why America's didn't really have a wine industry, you know, until 70s, 80s yeah. was... Part of it was that all the grapes during Prohibition came East, right? I mean, all of California's grape production came to, you know, the, the East Coast where you had all these Italian immigrants living. Who making wine? You know, in their basements and their, you know, out, you know, in the back of their houses. Yeah, absolutely. And that that drained California of all the grapes.
2: And also, they used varietals that could stand uh, pressing right. and and drying sure. and processing. You know, and they 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 the the whole point of the grapes was they had to be tough, not that they had to right. be delicious. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like supermarket produce. Right, right. Yeah.
0: I mean, even as a kid, I remember going to Arthur Avenue, the Italian section, of the Bronx, and you know you'd see like the hardware store would sell grape pressing yeah. you know you know yeah. home grape pressing yeah. machinery and bottlings and i mean this was long before the craft beer, you know, phenomenon or you know any of this was Yeah, hey, when I was a trendy. kid in Pittsburgh
2: in the 60s yeah. there were backyards in Italian Americans. My my Absolutely. father was Italian and you know uh, a recent immigrant and but the people were there for a couple generations. We'd we'd go visit sometimes and they'd always be making great, making sure. wine in their backyard. Yeah. You know, my father wouldn't know how to make wine, uh, no matter what. I mean, <laughs> he came from Trieste, which right. is is not really a uh, winemaking country. And no. in, in, in you know, he was he was an urban kid. But uh, these uh, these these places where you, you just see you know all the Southern Italians were, were growing sure. grapes in their backyards yeah, and making wine and uh, yeah. and uh, and then you know some people were probably even distilling it in their basement a little bit. Yeah, yeah, there might have been a little bit of that. Or, you know, yeah. and
0: certainly during Prohibition organized crime takes stranglehold mm-hmm. over a whole industry i mean it yeah. and becomes i would imagine way more profitable suddenly to be you know a gangster or a oh likeer yes. and I mean,
2: well, there was no organized crime before prohibition. Right. It was disorganized. There was a lot of crime, <laughs> right. but it, there was no massive Steak crime coach families. Robbing, yeah, know, or you know, and you know, and there there, were, there was in each, each town there'd be like a you know gangs Dual doing thief, uh, right. prostitution, although right. that was often semi legal, uh, which kept right. know, some of the crime out of it. But uh, all, all these things, and then you know, once liquor's illegal, everybody's funding them. And these, and these, and some, I mean, if you made that much today, it would be yeah. impressive. Oh, let alone it was a dollar you know. a drink where it right. went, before prohibition, it was 15 cents a drink, right? You know, prices go up to a dollar <laughs> that's 85 cents that goes into a crook's pocket, right? <laughs> you know, and the
0: quality goes down, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's amazing in that you know, ultimately corrupts basically every level of government. You yeah. Know, from the yeah from the local cop on the beat to the judges to the federal judge. I mean, all I mean, basically the whole government in many ways is, you know, is corrupt or is looking the other way. Yeah. And
2: Yeah, their payoffs are, are just unprecedented in size. It led the way for organized crime because they needed big networks to get things Short- in from the borders. And uh, you needed to supply a lot of people. Yeah. And it was so profitable that it was worth your while to hire a bunch of guys standing around unemployed and give them guns right. and tell them to go after your rival. You know, and it was all illegal. So. Yeah.
0: And that money then, you know, becomes laundered and goes into, you know, legitimate businesses. Yeah. And- yep gives yep. them, like, a toehold in all types of other industries. Well, once and, repeal
2: comes, you know, that's right. the, 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 some of the foundation of the modern uh, liquor distribution business is people Absolutely. who want legit.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and, and or, or distillers, too. I mean, yeah. you have all these, you know, or NASCAR, you know, supposedly grows out of, right, the whole idea is moonshiners. Yeah,
2: blockade running, Who, yeah.
0: who know, you know, these guys can drive really quick, and they've modified their car, and that becomes NASCAR. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of the activities during Prohibition, you know, after repeal comes, become legitimate in this
2: yeah, 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 The Prohibitionists did not predict any of this. Right. It took America completely by surprise. They thought the demand would go away, right. you know, as supply went away, you know, because they believed their own hype. Right. They believed that people didn't really want to drink that that it was being forced on them right. by big business that it wasn't, you know, a useful part of people's life.
0: It wasn't part of, you know, culture. Yeah, it, it was
2: it was all like they thought it was all top down. Right. It was driven by the manufacturers, you know, and that that was their that was their claim. Right. And it wasn't based on reality at right. all. Reality is Life is hard, yeah, and a drink helps you get through a hard life sometimes,
0: and so much of our traditions you know culturally and yeah. you know are, are you know so tied with alcohol um that it's,
2: it's we come from and you know many European cultures in general, most of them have some relationship to alcohol that's uh, that's pretty high and
0: uh, and let's be honest, you know. Somebody tells you you can't have something, you suddenly want that more than yeah. you ever wanted it before. That's you know, right. Like, you know, every time I'd go on a talk show or I would do a talk, invariably people would be, you know, I'd get two or three questions about absinthe. Yeah. Absinthe, yeah. Absinthe, absinthe. Yeah. What, you know, tell me that. It. Once it became legal again in the U.S. and you could Nobody get the cared. real. I've not heard one person ask you know, about no, absinthe no. and probably whatever became legal again yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, that, that killed all that the mystique that, instantly. That would, you know, oh, yeah, oh, it yeah. tastes like licorice. Okay. It's yeah. not hallucinogenic really. Yeah. Like, not so much like, okay, haven't heard a peep about it. No. And it's kind of the same thing. I think obviously we've over-romanticized beigeesies mm-hmm. and drinking during Prohibition, but there was definitely an allure, you know, kind of a Yeah, people who didn't drink much
2: before then, right. uh, suddenly all socializing by cool people. Was in speakeasies, right? You know, or was in with, or, with or, alcohol served.
0: or at cocktail parties. I yeah, mean, cocktail it sort of parties spurs a lot of people.
2: That's when the cocktail party takes off. Is and during and the cocktail
0: shaker, right? I mean, yeah. isn't like, you know, we really see mass produced cocktail shakers. Yeah, before so, that, it was
2: starting like in the 19 aughts, 1910s. It was starting to be a common home accessory, but it was still much a minority. Yeah. And once bars were illegal, you know, suddenly you had to mix your own. Right. Suddenly you get a raft of cocktail books all with, like, sure. amusing disguise. Yeah. And uh, suddenly everybody's, like, learning how to uh, take this fake phony right. baloney liquor and turn it into something semi-palatable.
0: Well, I have one. I think it's called uh, Shake Em Up, I think. It's oh, sort of. yeah, yeah. That. And that, and that the, I don't have the first edition. The first edition had a recipe for making bathtub gin. But I have, like, the second or third edition, which came out very quickly because the demand was so... The demand
2: was very high.
0: Very high. And and I think it's New York State that required the publisher to take out the recipe. Oh, that's
2: funny. I have a copy. I'll, I'll have a look. It's a blank page.
0: And all it says is, like, district attorney, you know, made us take out this page, yeah. you know. So it's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious. It, yeah, that's funny. Prohibition almost, you know, it pushes alcohol it's to like the It's like weed forefront. culture, you know. It's yeah, like, but yeah. even even more pervasive, I yeah. think, and, and yeah. with less of the stigma.
2: No, in my most of the country there was almost no stigma, you know. Right, absolutely. There was too little stigma is right. what happened. Is people were <laughs> bombed. Right. And the people who normally would have maybe had a drink or two, you know, and then gone home well, or and,
0: and because part of it is like, you know, forget about sipping, right? I yeah. mean, that's part of it. I mean, yeah. you know, we we think about, you know, these uh fabulous scenes from the gate you know, from mm-hmm. the Great Gatsby or other places. And in reality, you know, probably, you know, there yes, there were some places where You know, like Twenty One Club we've talked about, or some of these other spots where people, you know, fancy people could sit and drink, you know, unmolested by the police for the most part. But really for most people it meant, you know, you go into an alley or a basement or some unmarked den of iniquity, you know, some you get rough people
2: in there, you get a pack of drunks in there. Right.
0: You get some drink of dubious Mm -hmm. quality that you would throw back and maybe you'd have a couple of them and You'd be on your way and you'd be pretty drunk.
2: I've got a book by this guy, Joe the Marquis Madden, who was a boxer who ran his own bar uh, in Midtown Manhattan in the 1930s. And he'd run speakeasies. Sure. And he gave his recipe for speakeasy whiskey. And he said, this was oh the God. good stuff. I'm a little and it's, scared. It's like you take a quart of grain alcohol. And right. You had to buy that from the mob. It was often right. made in bakeries. Uh, places that got grain de- uh, deliveries sure. on a regular basis. Makes sense. You know, and, 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 it was, and that stuff was dubious right. quality at, at best. So you take a quart of that, and it's like 190 proof, a quart of uh, smuggled Canadian rye, okay. and a quart of water, and you mix those three together. And that's the good stuff. And that's the good stuff. And it gives you roughly something about 90 proof, <sighs> and then you add caramel color until right. it looks like the color of the rye. Oh. So it's it's basically blended whiskey is right. what he's describing, and that was the good stuff. Right? You know, a, after Prohibition, the taste for straight whiskey was kind of lost, also. Right. Because it's it tastes so pungent when you if you're used to blended, which Absolutely. is much lighter. It's blended with grain alcohol, or, or God knows water. what, or yeah. you're used or to worse. Or, yeah.
0: Who knows what's being passed Prune off? Prune juice, tobacco right. juice, right? All types of all the 19th know.
2: century adulterants were bad. And
0: if you weren't. Lucky you could go blind, or yeah. you know you die. And it came out a couple of years ago that the government was actually poisoning some of the alcohol that was being released. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it it's it, actually true. It was actually true, and and part yeah. of it was that they were trying to do a campaign where people would be afraid, like right. to scare them not into and to do time. that
2: that involved killing some of them. Yeah, which is uh, is is a hell Pretty, of a thing to do, right? So suddenly, you know, yeah.
0: the noble you know origins of temperance and prohibition. You know, we've come so far around that we're willing to kill people yeah, yeah. in order for them not to drink so that they'll yeah. die. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, it's it's uh, it's sad. It was uh, – it ended up, you know, uh, being a farce. It ended up absolutely. badly. Uh, its strongest supporters turned against it. And, and by
0: the end, I mean, you have – you know, you know America is in the throes of the Depression. Yeah. You know, this is a viable industry. I mean, literally – Alcohol produced so much tax revenue that we had no personal
1: mm-hmm.
0: income tax before prohibition.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, the dries were able to institute personal income tax in order to convince the rest of the the, the Congress that the government would have enough money to continue if they did ban the production and right. sale right. of alcohol. So I mean you can thank, you know, the dry's for every, yeah. yeah, every <laughs> April you can thank them for having the pink of thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, so nice, I mean, nice work so especially you know as we get deeper and deeper into the depression, it seems ever more ridiculous that we've shut down one of our most successful and viable yeah. industries. that's successful, whether or not the rest of the economy it, is going well or badly, and the know.
2: prohibition has has turned law enforcement into a joke. Absolutely, it's turned you know people are contemptuous of government institutions right. and. All this stuff that sounds very familiar, sadly, right. you know. Finally, almost to general acclaim, yeah, they they voted it out. They had to, you know, repealing an amendment is even harder than passing one, right?
0: And it takes months. It I mean, took months. Yeah, Roosevelt, you know, gets elected partially, you know, with, mm-hmm. because he's on a platform of repeal. Mm-hmm. One of the first things he does is he legalizes very low proof beer, which yeah. in some states sticks around for decades. Right? Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, like.
2: Three point two, I think right, it was. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which now it sounds like light beer. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, that yeah, right. that's not so bad. It's session beer. We, yeah, um, we drink as, that all as the, the time. the beer guys are yeah. talking about yeah, yeah. it, but
0: you know, he, you know, he almost immediately legalizes this low proof yeah. beer. Utah finally ratifies this amendment.
2: Yeah, it was Utah too. That's which crazy, is unbelievable. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, unbelievable.
0: It was kind of funny for my book, you know, the the art of American whiskey. One of the rabbit holes I went down, and I didn't even think about this when I started writing. But it was. You know, once repeal comes, what happens? I mean, yeah. like, just as they really didn't – nobody really planned for when Prohibition went into effect mm-hmm. except saying no more alcohol. When it became legalized again, the federal government kind of threw it on the states. and were yeah. like, you figure it out, dummies.
2: There was some medicinal whiskey uh, sold during Prohibition, which meant if you were uh- – had enough money to go and go to a doctor and get a prohibition, uh, get a prescription. You could get a pint of whiskey, like a uh, From two pharmacy. pints a month, something right. like that.
0: So much is sold, in fact, that you see, you know, a a lot of consolidation because there are yeah. only a few people allowed to sell these medicinal whiskey licenses, where they're allowed to bottle these special pints. So you see a lot of consolidation where people like Brown Forman yeah. are literally running out of whiskey stock. They're buying other companies, right, for yeah. the stock government even declares a distiller's holiday to allow them to make whiskey, medicinal whiskey. Yeah, they thought there was
2: enough on uh, – you know, people the, – the people who, who held whiskey at – when prohibition was passed – Tended to like put it in warehouse houses and hope for the best right I mean the overhauled people sold five thousand barrels to France uh, right. you know there's stuff like that, but they nonetheless there were stocks on hand and and those yeah. got drawn down yeah those absolutely. got drawn down very very fast and it's
0: kind of funny because the medicinal whiskey game is a whole other thing, oh, yeah. but in my research, one bottle that four roses has in their collection it has like a label from a pharmacy yeah. in sparks Nevada, and it looks you know it, the label could be on anything right yeah, it could yeah. be on a bottle of penicillin or on aspirin or whatever and literally the pharmacist has written out how to drink yes a whiskey as (laughs) if it is medicine and essentially it's prescribed to be drunk like a hot toddy right and i'm like this this is one medical breakthrough i can get behind yeah i'm I'm, I'm all for that right Uh, you know so you you realize that you know it's it was a game it's a a farce i mean yes Alcohol was definitely used to treat a range of serious maladies back in the day, mm-hmm. but for the most part, people are really getting the alcohol. Yeah, you know, they're getting over record. Although I love that fernet
2: Branca is available in pharmacies. Yeah, because it was considered non-potable. <laughs> Campari also. Right. And, you know? and, and you He know. was like, you, you can't actually drink those right. enough to get drunk right. on. Exactly. So, so you
0: can bring those in. Like, you know, vanilla, you know, extract or something. Yeah, I've so seen
2: that. in the Campari Museum, they have uh, uh, one of the bottles, the Prohibition bottles with the U.S. government, like, non-potable right. thing on it, which, which is very interesting. I think it's
0: pretty hilarious. Prohibition is repealed. You have all of these, you know, whiskeys coming over on cruise ships from Europe, you know, Canada, oh,
2: everywhere, you yeah. know,
0: uh, Louis Rosenstiel, who, you know, started Shenley, you know, around that. Mm-hmm. He started Shenley during Prohibition. Of all people, Winston Churchill, he runs into him, according to lore, on the French Riviera, which, and he tells him, you know, look, alcohol is coming back to America. Rosensteel runs back, starts buying up Yeah, they bought up brands and distilleries you know,
2: because those things had no value.
0: He realized, okay, this is going to end at some point. Once it's ready, you know, once repeal comes, he's got a bunch of whiskey that's waiting in, you know, warehouses in Canada that he can release. And it takes years for the liquor industry really to sort of even just catch up and rebuild. Almost every distillery in America has to be rebuilt. They were stripped of anything that could be sold. Yeah. You know, that nobody was Even the ones care that were still
2: running as medicinal distilleries were running, and yeah. you know they they weren't they weren't in competition. They didn't have right. to like make a better product.
0: As much as we sort of romanticize the prohibition period, it literally almost destroyed yeah. drinking in America. And, and for years, I mean, almost a hundred years later, we're still dealing with you know the shadow of prohibition
2: we are and it was and not just you know in terms of drinking in terms of what it did to the country yeah, as a, absolutely. as as a whole uh, it was a traumatic experience yeah. it was it forced everybody to reorganize their lives yeah. drinkers and non-drinkers alike yeah. it gave rise to every unintended consequence imaginable it was a stupid idea <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say. But uh, you know, you see it came out of a legitimate frustration yeah. for some people, but it was not the way to do it. And and I think some of the unintended consequences are kind of fascinating.
0: Up until recently, for the whole bartending industry to sort of emerge from this cloud shadow yeah. of prohibition where for so long, if you were a bartender, it was kind of a seedy profession. You know, it wasn't really yeah. whereas before prohibition. Being a bartender was like a really serious job. Well, among certain people, right. yeah. In big cities, there were certain number of bartenders that were there were master know,
2: bartenders who were who were who definitely you know they were, were celebrities. Were they yeah. were you yeah. know they were known yeah. around town.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, not every bartender was a celebrity, but no. there, but it, it was a legitimate profession. There, there
2: was a hierarchy there when, when, and you're right. And if you reach the top of it. You were a person of substance in your town, right. or at least among the sporting community there. Absolutely, you were you were somebody. You were somebody who was listened to. You were somebody who was trusted, and it was a good career. You know, you owned right. a bar. Uh, right,
0: it was a solid job. It was a it... solid
2: job with a career path. It was something that rewarded intelligence and right. initiative. And so, after we're finally getting I mean, that, yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, it, you know, it was always kind of like, oh, uh, like you're a bartender, like. Yeah. What are you really going to do? Yeah, or what really goes on there?
2: I mean, it was at best you were like a short order cook. Right. You know, it's just like, oh, you... Or you were running numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Some of the changes we've seen in the last 15, 20 years have reversed decades of history that it seems ridiculous now to think about that. I still think that, you know, most Americans kind of drink out of fear, right? I mean, we don't... Because of prohibition, we lost all of our you know, collective drinking knowledge.
2: Yeah, we lost all, all that like going and seeing your father's friends in the bar, right. you know, type thing and having or your uncle like yeah. teach you a thing or two and, you know, don't be a sucker. Right. You know, so now it's everybody drinks like a sucker when they're young. Right. Because they don't have that that the, those traditions. That sort you of know? institutional knowledge. Yeah, so and... so now it's like birthday shots of uh, right. of, you know, schnapps and uh right. and and sweet sweet gunk that right. uh is is not you know good for you or even that much fun, not nearly as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> you
0: know? We've already gotten some of the cocktails from before Prohibition. We're now also getting some of the types of whiskey, you know, that yeah. that people were making and different styles and different methods and
2: Yeah, it's starting know. to open up again. Yeah. After the consolidation that came from Prohibition shut down the number of acceptable styles of whiskey right. to very few. You know, there was bourbon, there was rye, there was blend. Out of desperation, yeah, you know, and it's yeah, it was like... it was circling the wagons. Yeah, and now we're starting to see things bloom again. Yeah, and it's like there is room for large yeah. producers and small ones. Yeah, you know, before that there was no room for small producers.
0: No, I don't think there was just any opportunity no. for them. No, there was
2: no interest. Uh, yeah, people didn't know anything. They they didn't know enough to uh, to be geeky enough to say I actually prefer right. a wheat whiskey to right. a rye
0: whiskey, even. In the twenty years that we've been covering this area, give or take, it's it's now an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, I mean is. the whiskey sitting in front of us right now. I mean weighted bourbon, straight rye, a bourbon you know, another a high you know, rye bourbon, a high rye bourbon. You know, yeah. like just there's an 18 year old. I mean, it's unimaginable.
2: People are really concerned of what exactly is in the bottle. It's like the label is almost the least of their worries. Yeah. It's like, what kind of whiskey is that? That's what I want. <laughs> you know, that's what I like. Absolutely. Which is great.
0: Coming up to repeal day. So, uh, I raise a glass to you, hopefully. uh, Happy drinking. Happy drinking. Hopefully we've climbed back out of the hole of, of Prohibition.
2: Here's to national intelligence.
0: We'll be back with another episode of Life Behind Bars soon. Cheers.